if we want to lead, if we want others to experience and, and follow us into the toughest of situations, they have to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Hey folks, this is Abe Shreve. Welcome to the Choose Difficult Podcast. The path to success is not easy, and here we explore the stories of those who choose difficult and change the world they live in. Welcome to season two of the podcast. Just like that, we're back. This has been a very exciting project for us, and I want to encourage you to go and listen to the stories of those amazing individuals. Well, today I get to introduce you to one of my favorite speakers and authors. He's a master storyteller, and his name is Don Yeager. He is the author of 32 books, 11 of them New York Times bestselling books. And he's one of the best storytellers that I've ever met. In fact, he shared with me that he believes that storytelling is the currency of kings and queens. And it makes sense that we would seek to have someone like Don on this podcast because we're all about telling amazing stories. Now, Don is someone who is well known on the speaker circuit. He is sought after by many Fortune 100 companies, many Fortune 500 companies, and he has a number of businesses. But like so many of us, that's not the way he started. He grew up in Hawaii and later in Japan. His father was a minister. And at a very young age, Don shared with us, he had a devilish entrepreneurial side to him. All the negative things you've heard about PKs, all those things where they were the troublemakers, the the challenge to their parents, they, they pressed the outside uh, lever of authority. That was me. I was the kid, honest to goodness, who got arrested at 16 years old, stealing hubcaps outside of Billy Graham crusade. So, you know, if I've just now lost every one of your listeners because they're thinking, why would I want to listen to that guy? That, but the other guy that got arrested with me uh, was the other preacher's kid. So it was good. We were, and he's now an assistant U.S. attorney in Illinois. So it's a, we figured our ways out. It wasn't until college when I really began to realize that um, if I could channel all the energy, creative nature, I mean, you know, uh, my mother laughs about, my mother laughed for many years about the idea that who would a think about pre-selling hubcaps that you didn't have and then b try to figure out where to go get them and end up at a billy graham crusade she said at least there was some creativity in your mindset clearly not positively directed but when you can actually start moving creative energy in the right direction good things can happen and and ultimately i, I kind of believe they have so it's been fun don would end up attending ball state university in indiana where he would study history and journalism And it was in college that he really started to understand that his calling in life was the asking of really great questions. That would be the crucial skill. He would take the art of asking great questions. He would use that skill to perform these interviews, to discover truth and write really great pieces. He would start out writing for newspapers but eventually would make his way over to Sports Illustrated, where he would even rise to associate editor of Sports Illustrated. And he had the opportunity to take an early retirement. I asked Don if he missed it. I don't miss it at all because I'm with you. I think in many ways, people now start with an opinion as opposed to starting with the desire to seek truth. And I think that that's that's what drew me to the profession was... I was inquisitive by nature, but what I wanted to do was then take the questions I had and try to figure out what truth looked like. Today, I think it's, let me show you what truth looks like and let me go fashion the questions to drive an answer that takes me where I want you to be. It's a sad state, 
but it's one that I hope one day we, uh, we find our way back from. I found this very interesting. In fact, we have such a polarized world right now when it comes to media and news. And I actually don't believe there is any news. I believe there's only opinions where stories are crafted to support those opinions. Not to get political, I actually think that's happening on any side of the aisle. But Don has really landed on what I believe is the heart of coaching, the critical work that we do here and that any great coach does. And that is not starting with the answer already, but starting with the use of great questions to discover truth, to learn what another person understands is true, not to steer them to where we want them to be and what we want said. This is a real skill. The best coaching really is about asking questions. It's about driving people because the best answers are the ones that we intuitively know for ourselves. And so if you can be asked the right questions, you'll, you'll, in many ways, I think my experience with great coaches over time, been the great coaches are the ones that get me to kind of bring from myself the truth that is pretty evident and obvious. And that's the direction that I need to be in pursuit. So I love that idea that if I can ask better questions, I will be better at leading and directing others, not because I'm guiding them, but because they'll, from the answers, learn how to guide themselves. There are a lot of people who feel that if, um, that as a leader, I'm supposed to have the answers, right? I'm not supposed to have the questions. And I think, in fact, it's quite the opposite. I, I do believe that great leaders are the ones in pursuit and in the pursuit of the answers, not having the answers, but in the pursuit of it, uh, we allow others to grow with us. I could not agree more with what Don has just said. In fact, it has been my experience in the work that we do that many leaders, especially early in their leadership journey, feel that they do have to have all the answers. And it is an incredible self-inflicted pressure that you carry when you feel like you have to be the smartest one in the room. Great leaders never grow alone. And like Don said, it's a journey and you invite people on your journey. You make sure that they're on a learning journey. And the way that we do that is by coaching them through great questions. Even while Don was working at Sports Illustrated, where he was assigned to really tell the stories in the sporting world, he found his way to really exploring human behavior and why people do what they do. So my role at the magazine, they had people who covered certain sports. And then my role was I worked on the team kind of developing longer term, more off the field type stories around everything from, you know, um, criminals uh, who, uh, you know, athletes who were, who were maybe wandering the line and kind of uh, doing things that were wrong uh, to, drug use and baseball. I, so I was involved in, in, in a lot of the stories that, again, intrigued me. Sports was just the baseline, but human behavior was the, was the discussion point. And that's where I wanted to always be. I love, I love trying to understand people, their behaviors, and why, right? The why that behind their behaviors. And that's the, um, then I think is the place that most people don't naturally go. Um, when they're in, in the world of self-examination, we don't actually, we may recognize that we did certain things, but digging into why we did them, that's, the, uh, that's where the real power comes. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence to see a certain behavior 
and to first ask the question, why is someone behaving that way? And to explore possible reasons that aren't the one that first came to your mind. You know, if you're driving down the road and the person in front of you is swerving lane to lane, what do you think is going on there? And many of us immediately think drunk or texting. And what's worse, we'll get our phone out to take a picture of this horrible person that's distracted driving while they text. It's kind of a funny thing we do. But what happens if we drive up next to them and we can tell there's a medical emergency happening in the car? We didn't know. We just jumped to the conclusion that they were a bad person doing something bad. You see, this idea that what a person does is fueled by something that's happened in their life. There's a reason that we may or may not understand, but one thing's for certain. We're not going to come to mutual understanding and mutual respect without exploring that story. Again, we come back to the power of asking insightful questions, seeking to understand. And Don told me an amazing story about a gentleman that is the star of a movie that I've loved for a long time, The Blind Side. I had an opportunity. Many, many of your listeners might have seen, for example, the movie The Blind Side, right? Now, I was asked a, a year after the movie came out if I would write a book with Michael Orr, the player who was, in the, who was the centerpiece of the movie. And unbeknownst to me, Michael Orr had nothing to do with the making of the movie. In fact, to see it, he had to go to a movie theater and pay $9.50 to watch his own life story, right? Uh, because the movie wasn't made with him as a key source. That's irrelevant. The, the movie was still really incredible and the story was still, by Hollywood standards, largely accurate. But the key, the thing that really stuck, stood out to me is as we were working on the book, one question I asked Michael was, if you could go back today, you're now successful, first round draft pick, NFL, making millions. If you could go back and find that childcare worker, that, you know, that the person that worked for the Department of Children and Families in Tennessee, who was constantly chasing you down, what would you say to that woman who back then you thought of as the devil? But today you recognize that what she was doing was in fact really good for you. What would you say to her? And he shared with me some of his thoughts. And as a result, he and I actually went and found the woman who chased him down so that he could have a conversation with her. But it's about, you know, Michael would probably never have thought to go look for her if not for the interview process. So how, do, how can just the simple asking of a question lead to what was for both of them kind of almost a life-changing experience. That's the power of a good question. Well, what he said is he would, he, would want to, he would actually want to say, I apologize and I want to say thank you. And he wanted to be able to express to her that, that no kid understands. All kids want is to go back to their mother despite the fact their mother might be drug addicted and, and not paying the rent and getting kicked out on, of, of houses regularly they still want to go back to their mother and that's all he wanted. And he didn't realize that the state had actually better interest than his own mother at some stages. He thought of this woman as just being that terrible human keeping him from uh, his, his very own mother. Now in that process, he had to learn how to be forgiving of her, which he was. And then from that forgiveness, he was able to express gratitude and uh, she wept for an hour. Kids don't come back and say that, unfortunately, uh, especially in that process. Those, those workers are you know, left to not be, not be told how great their work is often enough. I've heard my 
dear friend and partner in this business, Terry Gurno, say the right question asked the right way at the right time will change a life. That is the power of asking and not stating. And this is something that is a core communication principle for me. It has to be at the heart of any coach. And it doesn't stop in the professional world. I think this exact same ability to seek to understand and to facilitate another influencing me, in other words, another sharing their story, is a deeply powerful tool that can be used at home in our most valuable relationships. Don and I are both fathers. And I asked him, is this also something that you do at home? I mean, it is everything as a father. I mean, I, you know, constantly trying to figure out like, you know, that's going to get you in trouble. You know, you're going to get, you're going to end up on restrictions. Why would you do that? As opposed to, and, and, and try to dig in, like what really, who is it that's influencing you? Why are you, um, you know, and, and obviously you don't ask it in those ways, but you're trying to dig to it because if I can figure out why, I mean, I guess it's every parent's dream, right? To try to figure out what it is that really makes our kids tick. But if I can figure it out, maybe I can involve my involve myself in a way that can constructively help them make better decisions. Maybe they won't end up at the Billy Graham crusade, or at least if they do, they'll be on the inside. I cannot help but think of one of the most timeless and eternal communicative principles ever introduced. First, seek to understand. I first heard this from the great Stephen Covey, and I couldn't help but bring this up to Don. This all reminds me of first seek to understand. And he told this incredible story that he had with Stephen Covey. One of the great honors of my life occurred a number of years ago when his, uh, when several of his nine children reached out and asked me if, um, if I would, if I could be hired to write his autobiography. And I did, he was still, uh, he was in, he was late in his life when I was engaged and passed away partway through the book, but I did it through the letters he wrote his children uh, as they were on their individual missions and just learning again, what a man of his thoughtfulness was sharing with others. And it was a really powerful experience. So to get those opportunities and to let one build upon the next uh, has been an important part of uh you know, my, my personal growth, I'm, I'm getting paid to do it, which is awesome, right? I'm getting paid to grow, which is a neat way to look at it. Don has just described what I consider the nirvana state, getting paid to learn, getting paid to grow. I mean, look, let me just come completely clean with you. This podcast is a personal learning laboratory for me. <laughs> we seek out people to come on this show that I want to learn from and hopefully and sharing with you the lessons and the stories we're learning from these incredible guests, you're able to partner with me in that learning journey. I'm absolutely jealous. And I say this with a full understanding of the definition of the word jealous. I'm completely obsessively jealous with an opportunity that Don had. For a number of years, every other month, he would spend an entire day with the great John Wooden, one of the most winningest coaches in the history of sport. And just an incredible leader. So jealous. Every other month, I would go spend a day with him uh, for 12 years. But it was, uh, yeah, the, the lessons. He became a mentor to me. And um, I wasn't there to write a book. I wasn't there for anything other than learning. His charge to me was, if I came with questions, if I had 
he would answer my questions. But the second I ran out of questions, our time was over. And so what that meant was I knew he had the day blocked and it meant that I needed to make sure I came with plenty of questions. And I think that's what a great mentor-mentee relationship looks like. The mentee has to understand it's your job to drive the conversations, your job to go with a game plan for learning. The mentor is, shuts his phone off and says, for the moment or for the time we have, I'm giving you everything I can give you. And we did that over and over and over again. And finally, after a number of years, I reached out. He said, we talked about book writing. And I mentioned that one day we might want to write a book together about mentoring. But this is years after we'd been doing it. And as it happened, that book came out on his 99th birthday. The last book uh, that came out while he was alive is called A Game Plan for Life about the power of mentoring and how we should every day seek to be a mentor to someone else and, and also be mentored by others every day. A mentor is someone who is willing to offer wisdom that is unguarded, right? And that is offering up both life experiences and professional suggestions, but that, that, it, that allows someone else to just come and say, I'm, I need help here. Where, what do you know? Or where could you, how might I be led better? And then the mentor is that person that's able to say, I've either experienced that or I've talked to others who have, or here's, here's what I know. And the more vulnerable you can be as a mentor, the more real the conversation and the more real the conversation, the more difference you can make. And so that's uh, coach Wooden, you know, opened up to me with many of the foibles of his life and challenges that he had. But at the same time, there isn't anyone I would, there's probably outside of my father, it would be, I'd be hard pressed to name someone that had more impact. I can certainly think of those that have played that role for me. In fact, uh, one of my current mentors, I remember we were working on a business, a big business, and we had a working plan. So when we would get together on the phone, we had a clear starting point and things we wanted to accomplish. And I remember one day, Instead of starting where we left off last time, which had been the pattern we established, he started the call and said, okay, what do you want to talk about? And I had written questions. And it actually caught me a little off guard, but I was prepared and I said, well, I have some questions. And it was one of the most impactful calls of my adult life. When someone that you respect gives you their time and their interest and their wisdom and is willing to say, ask me a question, I'll share with you my perspective it requires some vulnerability a willingness to not be guarded to not have to look good on both sides from the mentor it's them letting their guard down to share where they have had challenges the lessons they've learned through failing and through winning certainly for the mentee it's a willingness to not have to look good not have to impress just open up about what you're wanting to achieve and the understanding you're wanting and it's a, it's a special moment. And it requires we lower our guard and we be vulnerable. So to define vulnerability, I think it's a, um, what vulnerability shows others is that you possess that characteristic that few do, which is self-awareness, right? To be vulnerable, you have to be able to be aware of, you're not just, uh, we all want to live a Facebook life, right? Where, where everything is awesome and 
uh, you know, and all you see are the pictures of, of uh, me in incredible places. The truth is that uh, that's not the real life for anyone. And so when someone can be vulnerable with you, it's because they are willing to say, I'm, I don't have the answers. I'm as in pursuit of it as you are, of, of them as you are. And uh, I'm willing to admit where I have failed in my pursuit of those, uh, of, of things in my past. And so I think the qu more quickly you can get to vulnerability as a leader with those that you're asking to, to follow you, the more quickly you establish a connection that will make them want to line up, right? Want to run through that wall with you. And I, I think you see it in sports all the time. It's part of why I love sports as metaphors. I know not everybody does, but the, uh, the, the ability to kind of see some people draw others to them, that's, they're not just drawn by talent. Uh, they're drawn by what that talent, how that talent pulls things from others. If we're getting matching tattoos today, I think it should be that. That great leaders use their talent to pull the best out of others. That really is, to me, the ultimate show of leadership. When I very first met Don, he had spoken at a, an engagement that I was attending. And I bought all the books that he had available. He was courteous enough to sign them. That day, I heard Don tell a story that I have shared a thousand times. It had such an impact on me. And, of course, it started with sports. The story that really riveted me about... Um, how leaders help others find uh, a sense of purpose really comes from uh, this basketball coach, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. He was tapped by the USA basketball or the United States Olympic program, if you will, to become the head coach. And when he became head coach, one of the things he realized was that many of the players were, uh, they weren't drawn by the sense of purpose, the, the importance of wearing the three letters across your chest. They were there for other, maybe other reasons, marketing or other things. And so he was trying to figure out how do I get them to believe that wearing those three letters means something and they, they are part of something bigger than themselves because they are on Team USA. So in, in the study of, of great teams and how teams come together and find a unique sense uh, and, and, and the ability to sustain excellence, the number one thing kind of came to me as I was interviewing them about how they create a sense of purpose. And the story that really resonated with me really emanates from back in the, the days of the dream team, right? Many people remember 1992 USA team with Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and Larry Bird and, you know, Patrick Ewing, just the Magic Johnson, greatest players of all time, probably the greatest team ever assembled. That team destroyed the world, right? Beat everybody by, um, uh, by an average margin of 40 plus points. And, and in fact, they were so good. Uh, the, the third best team in the world, the Lithuanians, actually their captain came to the game wearing uh, a long socks so he could stuff a camera in, the, in his socks and take pictures of our players during timeouts. That's how you knew he was, they were a great team because your opponent actually was on the sidelines taking those pictures. But that team did what everybody expected, but over time, it didn't take long 
before expectations set in and suddenly you just believe the world is supposed to you know, fall to the wayside when you walk into the gymnasium. And it wasn't long before USA Basketball wasn't anywhere near that good. In fact, they won the bronze medal in the Olympics in Athens. They suddenly had lost their sense of purpose. They hire a new coach, a basketball coach named Mike Krzyzewski. And he decides that the thing that was missing was that collective sense that they were part of something bigger than themselves. They thought they were playing basketball and he wanted them to realize that they were representing the United States of America. Well, how do you teach a group of basketball players that they're part of something bigger? He decided to involve the United States military in all of his training efforts. So on their way to the world championships in Japan, they divert and they go to Korea for a couple of days where our players get to live, eat, breathe, practice, dine with young men and women in the United States military wearing USA on their chest, but for a far different reason. And he wanted our players to realize that that's what it means to be in service of something bigger than yourself. You're serving the United States. That's what we have to be too. And over his course, his leadership, he made that constant theme. We have to be in service of something bigger than ourselves as the reason for the team to be. And as a result, they became an Olympic, they, they re-emerged as the Olympic force. But one stop along his journey really resonates. And it was on the way to the London Olympics. The team uh, gathered in Washington, DC. And Mike Krzyzewski decided that day that what he wanted to do was take our players to Arlington National Cemetery to truly understand and look and see what sacrifice looked like. They got to Arlington, uh, three of our best players, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, presented the wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And then shortly after that, Martin Dempsey, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, asked our players to follow him into the cemetery where he started telling them stories. And ultimately, he took him over to an area called Section 60. It's the, it's the freshest graves at Arlington. It's where men and women who recently have passed uh, are laid to rest. And while they're there, all the players are kind of silent. No one knew exactly what to say. And Mike Krzyzewski noticed that about 100 feet away, there was a young man, crew cut, civilian clothes, but he was standing amongst a group of graves and he was reaching into the backpack that he had over his shoulders and he was placing pictures down at individual graves. Coach K walked over and he said, excuse me, sir, I'm, I'm, my name is Mike Krzyzewski and I'm the head men's basketball coach for our Olympic team. And I'm wondering if you could share with me what you're doing here today. The young man looked back and he said, coach, I know who you are. He said, this was my team as he pointed to the graves. He said, this was my team. We had a mission and it didn't go as planned and I wanted to come here today and leave pictures of better days. Coach Krzyzewski asked that young man if he would come over and talk to our players and he did. He stood there right in the middle of the greatest players on the planet at the time and he started talking about what it meant to care for each other, what it meant to be part of a true team and he's going on. 
And after a few minutes, he starts talking about survivor's guilt, how he wasn't there the day the accident had happened, but he wished he had been. And pretty soon he started crying and he turned around, he walked away. And Coach Krzyzewski looked at our players and said, gentlemen, this is why we came to Arlington today. I wanted you to feel what it meant to wear the letters USA on your chest. I wanted you to feel what it means to represent the United States of America. That team went to London and destroyed the world, right? Outside of the dream team, it's the greatest performance any Olympic team has put on its international opponents. Coach Krzyzewski makes this point that if we want to lead, if we want others to experience and, and follow us into the toughest of situations, they have to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves and that we can create that and that our jobs as leaders are to create those environments where people believe that they're on the road to something special by being there with you. One of the reasons I love this story so much is because I believe we're facing a similar challenge in the workforce today. People are disengaged. Our employees have options. We have more people working remotely, so we don't get the energy of being physically together like we once did. It's hard to keep people engaged. In fact, a well-known Gallup survey really shined a light on the fact that there is a large percentage of the workforce today that is actively disengaged in the work that they've been hired to do. So it's important that you hire according to best behavioral fit. There's great tools for that. It's important that you have a job description, that there are clear expectations, that leaders have regular one-on-ones with their people to lead them. All of those things bring confidence. All of those things create partnership. All of those things help people feel attached to their leader and called into the mission of that leader. And it's not enough. People want to be a part of work that matters and they have to know why it matters. These professional athletes that made up this amazing Olympic team, they are used to being the standout star wherever they go. But this experience that they had with Coach K helped them believe in something bigger. And there was a very unique way in which they would display that besides winning. After this meeting in Korea with the players, where the players got a chance to meet young men and women um, from the United States uh, Army and, and, and Marines, uh, they went on to play in Japan in their first international tournament under Coach K. And a new habit kind of became part of their ritual, which was every time a big play occurred, rather than celebrating, pounding their chest and pointing to their name on the back, they actually turned to the nearest camera and saluted because they wanted to send a message back to those people in Korea saying, we're doing what we're doing today in honor of you. And when you can have those kinds of moments and impacts and opportunities um, to be, you suddenly do believe that what you're doing today is far more important than anything else we might be, that we might be trying to coach people up to do. I asked Don, what makes Coach K such a phenomenal leader? He is uh, one of the most extraordinary leaders and he constantly is iterating. He's constantly looking how do I make sure I can make the connection between myself and think about it. He's now like late in age and he's coaching 18 year old kids who are often one year only there for a year or two before heading to the NBA, having to make that connection to bridge that gap 
is far more difficult than anything most of us will engage as leaders. And yet he's constantly able to do it because he reaches across the divide. He doesn't wait for them to reach to him. He's reaching first. I love what he just said. He doesn't wait for them to reach to him. He reaches first. He's a proactive leader who seeks to understand personally each of his players, what motivates them, what moves them. Now, I just want you to think for a moment, if you're in a business leadership position, think about your team. Can you say the same? Do you know what personally motivates them? Do you know what they're struggling with? Because as I mentioned earlier, there is a disengagement problem. Many of them are so disconnected from their work that they, um, they don't feel, and they don't feel like their, their employer cares enough about them to even know they're disconnected. And what a loss that is for us as leaders, right? I mean, gosh. It is a waste. And I believe that it is the responsibility of any leader bestowed upon you the second you accepted a role in leadership, whether formal or informal. It is the responsibility of leaders to make it a life study. How do we create engaging environments? How do we create moments that bring us together and unite us in the work that we do? We've all known the stories, right? Of the, that, that group of players that came back together 20 years later and they all told stories about being together on that team. Why? Because moments draw people together, right? Going to Korea drew that team together in, when they played in Japan. Going to Arlington drew that team together uh, when they went to London. So the creation, what Coach K does and what good leaders do is they create feel-it moments. That's what Coach K calls it, feel-it moments. At Make-A-Wish, where I'm on the national board, we call them mission moments. It's where you get a chance to witness why what you do matters, and you get a chance to experience it in a way that dotting I's and crossing T's never will allow you to do, right? And so if you can create those mission moments for your team, if you can go, let's say you're, let's say you work uh, together in an accounting firm, right? But what if on one Saturday, every quarter, you guys gather to go build a home for, for Habitat for Humanity? Those moments bond people together, right? The stuff we do in the office is nice. It's what we do together that holds us together. So how do you reestablish engagement? You look for opportunities and not everybody's going to want to do it. But for those who do, it creates a bonding experience that makes it, it's, it's, it's what draws teams together 20 years later to talk about that game. It's because moments make a difference. We have to create them as leaders. That's the wisdom in what Mike Krzyzewski does. That's the wisdom in how we combat a loss of employee engagement create opportunities. In my little businesses that I own in Tallahassee, Florida, we do every other month, we do something in honor of one of our employees. We let them pick something they want to do. One of our employees, our IT guy, his grandmother passed away in a nursing home, but he's convinced she lived two years longer in that nursing home because the staff cared for her. So in honor of him, we took part of an afternoon off, all of us, and went and served lunch to the staff of that nursing home where they got to tell him stories about his grandmother, right? Now, you know what? 
it's a pain to go take two hours off to do something. But trust me, we're all bonded around that experience. And we have those every other month. You know, we call them feel it moment experiences and we seek them out. Uh, we even have a director of feel it moment engagements at our little company because we're always looking for ways we can do things that we will never forget. All right, I'm stealing this one. And I think you ought to as well. Coach K called them feel it moments. At Make-A-Wish, they call them mission moments. And Don has just described for us how they will every other month find a way to serve in a capacity that means something personal to the members of their team. I mean, that's when you know a company is really living its culture. When it comes together and does greater good than just the work it's doing. I asked Don, what, what's a great example of a company that's done this? The company's called Medtronic. They're based out of Minneapolis and they make medical devices that keep people alive. And they bring the families of, now they don't sell to families, right? They sell to hospitals, but the families are who ultimately benefit because of the good work that they do. So they want those families to come in and speak to their employees to say thank you. And as they're sitting there listening to the thank you, how do you not feel better about what you do for a living if you get to look up on the stage and hear a young woman say, because of you, my father got to walk me down the aisle, right? Now, who doesn't now want to go to work the next day and do more of that? So that's where, you know, again, this issue of employee engagement and the loss of it, it's a failure of leadership. It's not a failure of employees. We have to find ways to re-engage them. And it's doable. It's doable at, at Make-A-Wish. It's doable at USA Basketball. It's doable at Medtronic. And it's doable at my little companies in Tallahassee, Florida. I hope you got as much from Don as I did. I've been a fan of Don's books. I've been a fan of seeing him speak multiple times. But this was special. The ability to sit down one-on-one and have a conversation where I could really just dig a little deeper into some of what I've read and heard from him and to understand a little bit about his journey and his learning path. Don and I share in common the pursuit of great questions, the study of great coaching techniques. Don shared with us that that is the hallmark skill of a leader. That's how you engage your people if you want to keep the best people and keep them long-term and to keep them engaged. I really love the idea of feel-it moments or mission moments, this idea that we have to find moments in time that we can stop and have a feel it experience together. For Coach K, it was going to Arlington. For Don, it was taking his employees to an old folks home to honor one of his employees and the work they did for his grandma. What will you do for those that you serve? What feel it moment are you going to create in your company? I've got some ideas for ours. And of course, learning about what it was that restored USA basketball to where it is today. Getting that group of players that you could make an argument, have every reason to be completely focused on themselves, but getting them to the point where when they score, rather than celebrating themselves, they turn, find a camera, and salute the men and women of the U.S. military. This understanding that the letters on your chest means you represent someone far bigger than basketball. Boy, if we can get our people thinking that way, we will have been an incredible blessing to their lives. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you're a business leader and you would like to know what hiring a coach would look like for you and your organization, please head over to mymapscoach.com and let's set up a meeting. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving us an honest review. It really helps us in our mission to be a blessing and a help to others in this world. And I want you to think of someone right now that you believe would benefit from hearing this episode. I feel an absolute call to get Don's wisdom as far out into the world as I can. Please share this episode with them. I hope you've enjoyed our time together, and I hope you'll join us next time as we continue to explore the stories of extraordinary individuals who choose difficult.